As Bill mentioned earlier, today is the fourth Sunday in Lent, uh, which is this season that is modeled after the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness, fasting and facing temptation. And so during this season, we are invited to follow Jesus into the wilderness, to learn from him, to look to him, and to become like him. And so we've been dwelling in this passage of Jesus' wilderness temptations. Uh, And this morning, we're going to be focusing in on the third of these temptations that Jesus is faced with. So I'll read those verses that we've just read once again. Um, if you'd like, you can open your Bible to Matthew 4, or you can pull back out that dwelling sheet and read from it. I'm going to be reading beginning in verse 8. Uh, Matthew 4, beginning in verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil Then left him, and angels came and attended him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Amen. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the invitation to dwell in the word and hear from you, to look to you and learn from you. And so I pray that as we consider the words of your scripture together this morning, that you would sharpen our minds and soften our hearts, that we might know you and love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So one of the most epic and memorable movie plot twists in history, uh, comes from the middle of the original Star Wars trilogy, right? Luke Skywalker comes face to face with the epic villain Darth Vader, right? Who Luke believes killed his father. And then in the midst of their battle, Darth Vader reveals, no, I am your father. And Luke responds with a cry of horrified disbelief uh, that is actually very startling uh, whenever he begins to shout and scream, right? Original theater audiences also gasped in amazement. Perhaps some of you were were there uh, and, and saw that. But right after this plot twist occurs, um, Darth Vader continues and says to Luke, Join me, and together we can rule the galaxy as father and son. This sort of exchange occurs in all kinds of movies where a hero and a villain face off. So often we see this exchange where rather than defeating 
them outright. The villain will seek to overcome the hero by recruiting them to their evil scheme, recruiting them to their cause. We see this over and over again, join me, join me, because it is one of the core temptations that we all face. And Jesus faced it too. It is the temptation to be seduced by power at the expense of integrity. The temptation to power at the expense of integrity. And so in this third exchange between Jesus and the devil in Matthew 4, we see the devil take Jesus up to a very high mountain and show him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. Right? It's like another movie scene where a father, also voiced by James Earl Jones, speaks to his son in The Lion King. Right? Mufasa brings Simba to the, the top of Pride Rock, overlooking the whole land, and says, Look, Simba, everything the light touches is our kingdom. The difference, though, is that in The Lion King, we have this scene of a very loving exchange between a true father and son. But here, we see a distorted exchange between Satan and the Son of God. You see, Satan is a false father. Satan is always trying to supplant and displace our true father. This is one of the tactics of Satan. Remember, just before these wilderness temptations, at the end of Matthew chapter 3, Jesus was baptized. And as he comes up out of the water, the voice of God spoke to him, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I'm well pleased. Right? In that moment, Jesus was affirmed in his identity as the Son of God. And he was assured of the loving presence of his Father, God. But when the devil arrives, he tries to call this identity and this presence into question. Right? He begins the first two temptations, if you are the Son of God, questioning Jesus' own identity. And then here in the third temptation, he tries to replace God's presence with his own presence as a false father, offering false promises, false inheritance. These are the same things that Satan uses on us too. He tries to get us to doubt our true identity as God's beloved children. He tries to get us to doubt the goodness of God, our loving Father. And instead, he would see us submit to false fathers of all kinds who simply use and abuse us. What kinds of false fathers 
have you followed or fallen for? There's fame, one of the false fathers who promises us some kind of favor. There's wealth, who promises to give us security. There's comfort, who promises to give us peace. I'm sure you could fill in something else, right? Every one of these is a kind of false father making a false promise. You see, God, actually, our true father, gives us these same promises, right? That in him, we would be favored. That in him, we would find security. That in him, we would find true peace. And yet, nonetheless, we still are led toward those false fathers of fame, wealth, comfort. That offer those same things to us, but not truly. Satan always tries to displace and supplant our true father. Satan, the false father, talking to Jesus here, gives him a promise as well. He promises him a kingdom, all the kingdoms and their splendor. And yet, just like the favor, security, and peace that God truly does offer to us, this promise of the kingdoms of the world had also already been made to Jesus by his true father. In Psalm 2, we hear the words that that were spoken to Jesus at his baptism. Uh, Psalm 2, you are my son. Today, I have become your father, right? These words from Psalm 2 uh, have come to be known as, 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 as words speaking of the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah who is to come. Right? These are the same words that the Father spoke over Jesus at the baptism. And the very next verse in Psalm 2 goes on to say, Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance, the ends of the earth your possession. You see, the Father has already promised the world to his Son, And yet here, there's no manipulation. There's no bow down and worship me. There's no tit for tat of any kind. There is simply a loving father lavishing his beloved son with the gift of the kingdom. And and Jesus knew this. Jesus knew this. He knew that his destiny as the Son of God was to become the king of the kingdom of God. But what God spoke, Satan showed. What God spoke, Satan showed. See, God had spoken these words 
of promise at the baptism of Jesus. He had spoken these words of promise through the scriptures and the Psalms and the prophets. But here, the devil brings Jesus up to a high mountain and actually shows him the kingdoms. Look at them. Look at all of them and their wonderful splendor. And so Jesus has a choice to make. Is he going to live by faith? Or is he going to live by sight? Will he trust the voice of his true father who has promised him these things? Or will he fall for the show of this false father? Will Jesus wait to receive from his true father? Or is he going to grab at this instant cash offer from his false father? You see, what is so deceptive in this third temptation is that the devil is offering Jesus something that is already rightly his. The world already belongs to Jesus, right? The kingdoms of the world already belong to Jesus. So what's so bad about going ahead and taking them, right? Jesus came to establish the kingdom on earth. And so as we're reading this, it it seems like Satan is offering Jesus a shortcut to that goal. It's like Satan is saying, there's no need to go through the next few years of exhausting ministry. There's no need to suffer and die on a cross. There's no need for all of that. Go ahead. Go ahead. Take the kingdoms of the world. Go ahead. Right? Claim what's yours. Go ahead and accomplish what you came here for. Do it now. Don't bother with all that that other stuff. I mean, it really is tempting, isn't it? If you could get done what you needed to get done way faster, if you had a shortcut, who wouldn't choose that? All he needs to do, Satan says, is bow down and worship me. Because that's what we're doing when we take the shortcut. If all of these promises and and possibilities that Satan is making were tempting to Jesus, it's in that moment that he snaps out of it and he rebukes Satan. Be gone from me. And he responds, if it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. You see, what Jesus shows us here is that worship is not merely an activity that we do once a week on Sunday mornings when we gather together, we sing some songs. Worship is a way of living every day. Worship 
is how we live. It is a way of life. Worship is what we live for and how we live for it. In this third temptation, another way of putting it, Jesus shows us that the end does not justify the means. The end does not justify the means. Rather, the means are just as important as the end. Because worship is about how we live. Living a life of worship means the way that we do things is just as important as what it is that we're trying to do. So Jesus has come to establish the kingdom. But doing so by means of bowing down to Satan and asserting his own power and authority will falsify this kingdom. It it will no longer be the kingdom of God and instead become a kingdom of Satan. And this is a lesson that the church has failed to learn time and time again. I just look at church history. Some might celebrate uh, the fourth century legalization of Christianity and Rome as a wonderful accomplishment, right? It's great that, you know, Christians aren't being fed to lions anymore. That's really, and that is really nice. But the moment that Constantine, the emperor, begins using Christianity as a means to power, now we're building false kingdoms. Now we're building false kingdoms. Right? Uh, Fast forward uh, a thousand some odd years, the Spanish Inquisition, right? Ooh. Right? It sought to, to spread Christianity, to, to spread faith, and it offered people a choice. You can be baptized or executed. Pick one. Right? And I'm sure plenty of people, uh, you know, were converted. And lots of new churches sprang up. But it's building a false kingdom. It's building a false kingdom. Throughout the history of our own country, Christians have sought often political power and influence uh, to the point that today the term evangelicals, which originally simply meant gospel people, right, good news people, has now just become a term for some kind of political voting block, right? Just a mere political stat in public life. And, and yes, we, we want the world to know and follow and live the way of Christ, but the moment we begin grabbing for power as a means to accomplishing this, we've given in to this third temptation. And even beyond the realm of, of politics, political power, and stuff like that, there are plenty of churches that have a great deal of power and influence used to control people, or money and marketing used to to sort of build up their brand. And as well-meaning as any of that may be, 
Though the end goal may be building up the kingdom of God, when we try to do it the way of the world, we end up bowing down to a false god and building a false kingdom. The way we do what we do matters. The way we do what we do matters. It's why we have to be shaped by the wilderness. It's what we've been talking about all these weeks, rather than being shaped by the way of the world around us. This is the temptation that Jesus faces here. There's the promise of power at the expense of integrity. Is he going to take the shortcut to power? Or is he going to continue looking to and trusting in his true father rather than this false one that speaks to him? The way we do what we do matters. So, so what is the way of Jesus? What is the way of the wilderness? The way that we see here. Well, there's a clue in the text as we read uh, that gives us some more clarity about this. After the devil's enticing uh, shortcut to power, Jesus rebukes him with the words, away from me, Satan. Away from me, Satan. And we hear this very same sharp rebuke from Jesus in one other place later on in the gospel. If you want, if you have a Bible and and you're there, you can turn over to, to Matthew chapter 16, where we find it. I'll put it up on the screen as well. Matthew 16, verse 21. It says, From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things at the hands of the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and on the third day be raised to life. And so Jesus begins very explicitly in no uncertain terms describing to his disciples his path toward the cross toward suffering and death, his path toward sacrifice. Upon hearing this, the very next verse says that Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, he said. This shall never happen to you. Right? Peter tells Jesus, I will never let this suffering and this death come close to you. Right? Peter's being a good friend. Right? If, 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 you know, one of us was talking about how we were going to suffer and die, we'd kind of want one of our friends to jump out and say, no, I'm not going to let that happen to you, right? Peter is well-intentioned here, I'm sure, but beneath and behind Peter's words, Jesus hears the taunting of the tempter once more. There's no need for suffering. There's no need for for death. There's no need for that sacrifice. 
The same temptation that had been offered to him in the desert was right in front of him once more. And so Jesus responds just like he did before. In the very next verse, Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is the voice of the false father, not the true father. This is the human way of the world, not the way of God. Right? Peter may not even know, but he was pursuing the end by the wrong means. He was seeking the way of Jesus. He was, he was seeking Jesus, but he was going about it the way of the world, not the way of Jesus. It looks like worship, right? It looks like faithful friendship. But it's false worship, and it's building a false kingdom. A kingdom of self-preservation instead of sacrifice. So just like before, Jesus rebukes this temptation that's in front of him. He will not give in to the temptation to have power apart from sacrifice. He will not give in to this temptation to build the kingdom apart from the cross. And then Jesus makes this even more clear as he continues in the verses that follow. Jesus then said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit their soul? Jesus speaks these words to his disciples from his own experience. He knows what it is to have the world offered to him at the expense of his own soul. All these kingdoms can be yours. Just bow down and worship me. Jesus says, that will get us nowhere. As long as we pursue power as an end in itself, we will be going nowhere. And so, the way of Jesus does not look like grabbing for power, but rather giving up life. The way of Jesus is not the way of self-centeredness, but rather self-sacrifice. And so I wonder, what are the ways that we grab for power? What are the ways that we try to maintain control? The ways that we build false kingdoms? You see, you know, we look at things like the kingdoms of the world and all their splendor, and we go, well, 
I haven't been tempted by that lately. I mean, I haven't recently sought to, you know, overthrow a government and uh, call it my own and become a king. Uh, so I, I'm doing good. But all of these kingdoms are scalable, right? Uh, maybe we're not wrestling with, you know, gaining the whole world. But what is the kingdom that you're trying to keep control over? It might be the kingdom of your friendships, the kingdom of your family, the kingdom of just your own life. There are all kinds of ways that we try to take control. And whatever spheres we walk in, what does that look like for us? We talked about those false fathers of fame and wealth and comfort, right? What are the ways that you try to, to earn your own favor with others? What are the ways that you try to, to you know, make sure your life is very secure? What are the ways that you cultivate uh, a sense of peace? It might not be real peace, but at least things are quiet. These are the false kingdoms that we build. These are the ways that we, we grab at power and control in our lives. For some, it, it, it looks like pride, right? It looks like just a total uh, self-absorption, uh, just paying attention to ourselves and, and insisting that others praise us. One of the, the things that I think we're often tempted to is, is this idea of becoming God ourself. Uh, technology has done this for us in many ways, right? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm very tempted to be all-knowing because at, at the touch of Google, I can know just about anything, right? And so that, that becomes this temptation to, to power. I can know everything, right? Uh, you know, we, we can be tempted to be all present, right? I mean, just at the touch of a button, I can call anybody, pop onto Zoom and see anyone, right? We can be anywhere at any time. So we, we begin to, to think that we're more than human. We're more than ourselves. So how might we em embrace the very real limitations that we have? instead of grabbing for power and control. Uh, for others, it, it might not be pride uh, in, in that sense. Uh, in class this morning, we were talking about this. It, it, it might be the inverse of pride, which is shame. Shame is just as self-centered as pride. It's just that instead of saying, look at how awesome I am, it's look at how awful I am. Instead of saying, whoa, look at me, it's woe is me. But it's just as self-centered as pride, just as focused on ourselves. So how do we move away from these false kingdoms and, and grabs for power? Well, it's very simple. Worship the Lord your God 
and serve Him only. The moment that we turn our attention from ourself, either in pride or in shame, to God, everything is transformed. Right? This is what uh, Linda and I were talking about during dwelling in the Word. That the moment that Jesus speaks of worship, that's the moment that the devil flees. He leaves, right? It's not because Jesus didn't do the temptation. It's because he did worship his Father. So if we can only turn our attention to God, then everything can be changed. Everything can be transformed. Letting go of our own desire for power and control and trusting God. This is the way of Christ. It's the way of sacrifice. So we fast forward to the end of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus has journeyed to Jerusalem. He has been taken by the hands of the Pharisees, the religious authorities. He has suffered And he's been nailed to a cross. And in that moment, when he finally breathes his last and lets out his final cry, there at the foot of the cross is a Roman centurion. A person of the nations, right? And he looks up and he says, surely this was the Son of God. It's on the cross that Jesus begins drawing the nations to himself. This is how he begins to draw the kingdoms of the world to him. Not by grabbing them, forcing them, asserting his own power, but by giving up his very life. And it's at that moment that the nations look to him and see him. In the very end, we see a picture in the book of Revelation of every nation and tongue and tribe surrounding the throne of God. And on that throne, what do we see? In John's own creative way, he describes a lamb as though it had been slain. And the people surrounding the throne say, worthy is the lamb who was slain. If he had not given up his life, he wouldn't be worthy of the world. But because he has gone the way of sacrifice, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And so the way of Christ is the cross. This is how we find our lives, by giving them up. And so may we take up our cross and follow him. Amen.